0: That's it, it's over. Then we organize the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda, the event, has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's
1: called the second amendment.
0: I'm really happy to have Simon Roche in the studio uh, in well it's not, not the studio in this uh, in this hotel room here. I'm I'm very happy to We're echoing. We I'm being told that there's an echo on the stream. And so that means that I have to unmute this so I can hear it. Of course. Like of course this happens. And so let's unplug this thing. Okay. All right. You know, sometimes it works, and sometimes I can't hear anything, and sometimes I have an echo. So this is my mobile equipment, Simon. I'm actually I'm I'm reasonably good at this, believe it or not. Um, I I I have all my uh, equipment in a studio, and when you told me that you're going to be in that you're going to be in New Hampshire, I was like, oh well, this is great. And I have all this stuff. I, I have extra equipment that I have you know per, you know sort of prepared. Um, in order to uh, do interviews away from my, uh, from my studio. Um, but prepared is probably a strong word for that. And I'm, and I'm really sorry about that because, you know, you, you and I have talked twice before. I had you on in 2017, had you on in 2018. You're obviously, uh, you've been on the speaking circuit. You've been in a, a number of different podcast interviews. You've talked to a lot of really interesting people. And when I thought I had the opportunity to have you here, I was like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, let's do that. And so, I, it was a pleasure meeting you, and I'm really glad to uh, to be finally face to face with Simon Roche of uh, Swedlanders. Am I saying it right?
1: Swedlanders.
0: Swedlanders. Okay. And so, why don't you uh, why don't you briefly introduce the audience to yourself? Tell tell them what Swedlanders is, and um, and what it is that you're doing in the United States.
1: 100. percent Thank you very much, um, and thank you for going to all of the trouble that you've gone to this afternoon to endeavor to set this up. Well, I know it's, it's tricky, um, to get all these things working together. Um, I, uh, before I say anything, I, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to three good men in Sayer, Pennsylvania, who've been taking care of me for the past couple of weeks, <coughs> excuse me, while well, we've had some, uh, uh, credit card, financial hiccups, So, uh, Andrew, uh, Gordon, and AJ, this goes out to you. Thanks very much, boys, for taking very, very good care of me here in the USA. It's not easy being a stranger in a strange land, especially when you're not politically correct. You know, when the whole world is against you, you know, the the buddies that help you out in tricky situations are, are doubly precious. Yes, and, um, and I
0: want to thank them for, for helping you out, too, because I, I do think that you're doing some important work. And so you are um, you, you're born and raised in South Africa, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, the organization that you represent is trying to put together, I, I think the, the phrase that you use is emergency plans, all right? And this is an ongoing project. The first time I spoke to you in 2017, you were working on this. And so why don't why does why do people in South Africa um, well what group of people needs emergency plans in South Africa
1: uh, The best way to answer your question is to make it clear that very much like Yugoslavia when it broke up in 1991 through 1999 there was only ever going to be one trajectory and that would be a trajectory of fracturing of rupturing, of ethnic mutual antagonism, and um, the, the the Geneva Conventions make specific provision for any ethnic group in the world that believes that if there's a crisis in the society, let's call it for want of a better word, a civil war, but that that's an oversimplification. But if there's that sort of a crisis of that nature. That any ethnic group in the whole world can prepare a national emergency plan for their ethnic group. So I represent an organisation called Saitlanders, and people can look it up, Saitlanders.co.za or Saitlanders.org. That's S U I D Landers.org. Nice English website, and uh, familiarise themselves a bit more. I represent an organisation founded by our leader a man by the name of Gustav Müller, who perceived about 20 odd years ago that if things didn't go well in the new South Africa Rainbow Nation and it became fractious, there's a strong likelihood that it would become a race-based thing. So he said, why don't we as white folks put together a national emergency plan to protect ourselves as non-combatants not as belligerents, not as a party to a conflict, as ordinary civilians who withdraw from a conflict and safeguard the welfare of our women and children. And that's what Saitlanders is. It's an organization devoted to the establishment of, as you rightly say, a national emergency plan to safeguard the welfare of our our weaklings, if you like, women and children in the event of a crisis in South Africa, that necessitates that sort of thing. And if there's never such a crisis, well, too bad. We'll have done it all for nothing. But somehow, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I I, um, I understand that there are problems in South Africa. It would be fair to say. And so you you mentioned this uh, th- this term "rainbow nation," right? So I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with some degree of the history of South Africa. But you know, maybe we could briefly recap you know there's in what year south africa for a period of time was governed i the word that the rest of the world uses is is apartheid right so you had a white government that um excluded blacks in, in some to some extent i don't know what the extent was um and that that was
1: abolished when <clears throat> apartheid was instituted in about 1910 by the British, when South Africa was a British colony, that's one thing that people must understand. It didn't have that name, but the policies were implemented by the British in order to secure some sort of stability in the society. And that was after the British won the, the second famous Anglo-Boer War, it took control of all the gold mines and you know, gave them to, to certain, um, certain ethnic groups, not white South Africans. Uh, ethnic groups from Europe. And that apartheid system became formalized with the name and other things from about 1948, 1960, up until 1994. There were some transitionary phases between this 1910 to this 1994 point. In 1994, we had the first multiracial democratic elections, which were won by the African National Congress under Nelson Mandela. To answer your question, okay. And now Nelson Mandela
0: is um, held up on the world stage as as something of a hero, um, which is which is unusual because people who who blow things up, that's not usually how we treat them, right? And, and Nelson Mandela had been involved in in bombings and that sort of thing. Is my understanding of it right? He was actually in prison for a while. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Nelson Mandela was convicted of treason. Um, Based on numerous events and factors and what have you, but the core one was a planned bombing campaign, which would have, given that the people in question would have been largely black, the perpetrators, which would have uh, harmed a lot of black people at Johannesburg Railway Station and other places.
0: Right. And so um, at some point, he's, is, was he pardoned, or did he finish his sentence, or what was the...
1: Yeah, he was... Uh, I don't know if pardoned is the word that they used under law at the time, but effectively, yes, he didn't complete his sentence. He was released from jail by the apartheid government to represent or to to lead the African National Congress in the conversations, the negotiations that took place between his his release in February of 1990 and the elections in April of 1994.
0: Okay, so uh, Nelson Mandela is four years out of prison and he becomes the head of state? Correct. And he had the the, that's his. I mean, I don't know if anybody else came up with it before him, but that that word, that phrase you use, Rainbow Nation, is sort of attributed to him, right?
1: Yeah, not to him necessarily directly and individually, but to the African, the incoming African National Congress, use slogans such as South Africa is the Rainbow Nation many people of all different colors. Uh, We are talking about the new South Africa. These were the phrases that they used. Another one is or was South Africa has the most liberal constitution in the world that came after the drafting of our and acceptance of our constitution in 1999. So all of these catchphrases came out of the ANC hegemony of the political scenario at that time in the nineties. And um
0: how's that working out did they there was uh, they, they institute a policy of racial harmony and it's been and it's been rainbows ever since they've introduced all of the world's most perfect
1: policies except that none of them have worked
0: oh see there's a lot of that going on I understand so people people purport to have great ideas and then they and then they institute them and then when they don't work, then they have new great ideas i think it's mm. kind of like that's kind of the routine that they do yeah, right yeah very much so and they and they keep on coming up with all of these great ideas and, and they keep on telling you how great it's going to be and and, yes. and and um and the your experience has been that things are actually not improving right
1: well nothing has improved people should bear in mind that during the, from the early 1970s up until 1994 south africa was subject to very very heavy sanctions, United Nations sanctions, American sanctions, European sanctions, you know, kind of individual sovereign countries, groups of countries, the United Nations, you name it, everybody had sanctions against us. Um, And through those difficult times, South Africa grew and extended and built and improved and what have you. And then after 1994, the sanctions were lifted. There was an enormous More than a flood, like a a wave, a cascade of of money, investment, and what have you, know-how, and so on, into South Africa. In spite of that, our railways are failing. Our schools are disastrous. Our hospital system is on its knees. In fact, it's prostrate on the floor. And as I told you earlier, in the week prior to me flying out here, we had a national rotating blackouts. So everybody gets the, the same punishment as it were of nine and a half hours a day in the previous week, it was 11 and a half hours a day. So in a 24 hour period, you would be trying to run your business, run your house, run your air conditioner, run your heating system, run anything and everything with 11 and a half hours of the electricity that you need missing. It's very severe. The decline of South Africa under the African National Congress is far worse than you can imagine unless you experience it directly. And so, um, what what is the
0: demographic? What what percentage of South Africa is white at present? Can you do you know that number?
1: Yeah, our our population. I'm going to give you the official numbers. We could talk all day long about the real numbers. But the official number is that we have a little over 60 million people. 61, 62, who knows. <clears throat> um, that's the total population of yeah, South Africa. That, okay. That's the official number. Okay. The the uh, white populace makes up just less than 5% of that at about 4.5 million people. The, the colored population, that is to say the mixed race people who insist upon being called coloreds, <clears throat> make up... A similar proportion and then the Indian population that is to say people from India we have the largest number of Indians outside of India anywhere in the world in in South Africa where I grew up they make up a little less so something like roughly 12 percent are those three groups of which the whites are about five percent give or take and the rest are black so about Something like 48, 49 million people are black, and the the, the balance are are white, colored, and Indian and Chinese.
0: Okay, um, and as a matter of fact, as you as you mentioned this large Indian population, this reminds me of a story that I, I heard about that. I'll, I'll I'll have to I'll have to come back to them. And so um, the uh, the the Rainbow Nation concept. It sounds like they're talking about everybody is going to, uh, as as a consequence of eliminating this this system of government and, and instituting hyper inclusive mass democracy, mm-hmm. that everybody's all of a sudden there's going to be no conflicts of interest between these groups, and they're all going to you know cooperate in the state, and everybody's mm-hmm. going to be represented, and because it's a majority rule, then of course all of the decisions will be exceedingly wise. Um, but as it turns out. When you have a demographic disparity of, of the type that you've just illustrated, um, there are conflicts of interest that emerge before, between these ethnic groups, isn't there?
1: Yeah, well, naturally, it's not unnatural. You know, we, we have to be even-handed about this and think sensibly. There is a policy in South Africa of affirmative action called broad-based black economic empowerment, known as BEE, as if there was only one B broad-based black economic empowerment. And it was natural for the African National Congress to impose that following multiracial democracy. It was never going to be a wise decision. It was never going to be in South Africa's best interests. In fact, it was never, ever going to be in black people's best interests. But it was natural that they would do it. That's the first thing you do. You've been in power for a while. It's our turn. And goodness me, regardless of merit, I'm going to ensure that my best interests are looked after first. And, and of course, it, it doesn't work very well because you squeeze out the most talented and you suppress the most needy. And so the least talented and least needy, that is to say the upper crust of the African National Congress elite, take everything for themselves. They take all of the mining contracts, they t- take all of the deals with government and so on and, and so forth. And that has led to South Africa's famous brain drain, which is the best of the white people leaving the country for New Zealand, Australia, Texas, notoriously, Canada, and other places.
0: Now, um, as things have declined in South Africa, there's a there's a lot of people, as you mentioned, have, have tried to leave there. Now, I've heard stories about uh, different political figures throughout the world calling for white South Africans to be accepted as refugees into the country. And... It, and it's a it's a bizarre story to watch. Um, and by the way, I'm 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 t- saying this almost as a joke to my audience. I, mm-hmm. I I understand what's happening. I'm I'm just playing a little game here. It's been it's been a little bit bizarre that um, th- our countries are usually very very enthusiastic about accepting refugees, but the people who have suggested that white South Africans should be accepted as refugees have been called Nazis and racists and 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 smeared as you know, evil people. The, um, it, it, can you speak to that at all about efforts to have white South Africans accepted as refugees in other countries?
1: You know, horses for courses, each to their own. saitlanders is not an organization that participates in those fields. We've decided, for better or for worse, that what we're going to be is an organization devoted to a national emergency plan in anticipation of a, a race-based civil war. Because that's what happens when you have such, uh, you know, uh, uh, multi-ethnic uh, uh, societies, such as we spoke about Yugoslavia earlier. However, I can I can answer the question, even though it's not our principle or policy. Many, many South Africans have endeavored to seek some sort of refuge. So, in other words, a refugee status in European countries, in Australia, Canada. Um New Zealand, the USA, and so on, and by and large they've be, they've had the refugee status you know um, denied them and so they've had to emigrate on other bases great qualifications wealth buying their way in and so on um but we've we've lost we've lost really very much of the cream of the crop of white South Africa through. Uh, broad-based black economic empowerment through the collapse of our state and through crime and violence. Many people have left because they're just flipping terrified. Uh, The reason why we've been denied refugee status, I would say to you, is very, very simple. Given what we've learned, given what you've learned, what I've learned and others have learned, the majority of your audience from COVID-19, the pandemic nonsense, from the clot shot, from the the engineered uh, financial crisis in the USA, is that there is a hidden hand, and of course Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum would, as near as damn it is to hell, tell you I'm the hidden hand, right? You know, and my my alliance, my allegiance, my kinsmen are the hidden hand. Yeah, we're the ones doing it, right? As near as damn it is to hell, uh, Yuval uh, Noah Harari would, as damn it. Is near to hell. Tell you the same thing. Um, it's it's purposeful. It's deliberate. There's a reason why the majority of the people flooding over the southern border uh, from Mexico into the USA are young, fit, healthy men. Uh, when you seek refuge from conflict, you are dominated by children and women. When you approach conflict you are dominated by young fit healthy men young fit healthy men go to war and to crisis women and children flee from war and crisis and starvation and famine and and so on uh, and it's the same in europe it's young fit strong healthy men who are flooding over those borders they call them syrian refugees where are the chicks where are the chicks where are the chicks in the hijabs.
0: I, I saw a number, and I didn't bother to verify, I didn't check the source of it, but, you know, I, I consider the source that I got this number from reputable enough that I take it seriously, that they said 90-plus percent of the um, the immigration into Europe last year was male, And it's like, you know... It, even if if all of those people were of the same ethnic group as you and all had the same religious views this would be a nightmare that you just you know you have billions of men pouring across your border <laughs> like it's like it's a nightmare and then and then they're and then they're not on your side on top of it right and so you know it's it's obvious what they're doing so but you know the the well the reason i asked about the the refugee status is you know i understand that we'll get into this more as we go forward that you and the people that you're involved with have no intention of leaving south africa one way or the other but it's actually not it's not a it's not a straightforward thing to leave south africa is it, it it's not it's not that there's a bunch of people you know inviting you to get on an airplane and, and go have refuge somewhere that's not happening right no okay and it's not because you're not in danger right i mean it, it's it's actually pretty well understood that that On the basis of their ethnicity, white South Africans are in danger. That's pretty well understood, I think, throughout most of the world.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, The the statistics speak for themselves. The the intentional homicide rate, as they call it, so the murder rate, in Europe, in the various countries, is between 1 and 2 per 100,000 people per year. The murder rate in the USA is just under 5 per 100,000 per year. The murder rate in South Africa is 39 per 100,000 per year. Uh, and I'm going to continue the point in a second, but I'll digress briefly by saying you gun-toting American maniacs <laughs> just aren't trying hard enough. Yeah. You you know, there's, there's this global hysteria about Americans shooting. You're not even in the competition, you poofters. <laughs> We we know a thing or two about killing one another. Now, the, it is true that the majority of murder in South Africa is black on black. Over, over, overwhelmingly. However, there is a disproportion of black on white. If you take the white numbers... It's reasonable to say that well okay it's a vicious society and the uh, the black-on-black killing should be shared about a little bit that sounds reasonable and perhaps the whites should get uh, you know roughly eight percent of it but it's not the case if you take violent crimes uh murder robbery uh, uh breaking and entering burglary and so on there's a disproportion and the base is obviously has to be white on white. Obviously you have to say if there's an external thing, you know, what do we measure it against? Right. We either measure it against black on black or white on white. And that's where the liberals and the African National Congress start to get panic-stricken because the figures get completely skewed. And I'll give you one to illustrate the, the point. We have About 25,000 white commercial farmers left in South Africa. I'm talking about the farmer himself. Not his wife, not his children, not his relatives, not his workers, um, and so on. Not visitors. So if you want to to get a figure per 100,000, you multiply by four. We were talking about, you know, per 100,000. Yeah a figure of about five murders per 100,000 people in the USA. Year in and year out, the number of white commercial farmers murdered is somewhere between upper 40s and early 50s, roughly. If you take 45 as your number and multiply it by four, that's a murder rate of 180 Per 100,000. It is an indisputable mathematical fact that among the most dangerous social, community, and professional working circumstances in the world is to be a white South African farmer. People can dispute it until they're blue in the face. The math says otherwise. The chances of you getting murdered as a white South African farmer are... Nine times. I'm trying to do mental arithmetic. Uh, 30, Thirty-six times. Thirty-six times. That's three thousand six hundred percent more than being an American. Yeah. You know, um, in the
0: United States, in uh, in the midst of our race hysteria, um, we have this concept of disparate impact, and so you know, in in when people run into courtrooms and start filing lawsuits and trying to grab racial spoils through our civil tort system Mm -hmm. they say um... well i understand that there's no evidence that you had a a a racially discriminatory animus but the fact that whatever you have done has had a disparate impact on this community uh... is is per se evidence that that you have acted in a discriminatory fashion so for Mm -hmm. example you cannot you cannot, as a requirement of employment in the United States, require an IQ test, for example, mm-hmm. because they understand what the outcome of this will be. Except
1: in the U.S. military.
0: Well, of course. Well, But even at that, so the, they have the ASVAB, okay, the, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, mm. and it is a proxy for an IQ test, right? Mm, yes. But they can't give you an IQ test, right? right. Like, but you can take the ASVAB score, and you can, like, translate it into yeah. an IQ, right? Now, of course... Um, There, there's all manner of chicanery trying to support, you know, promote people through the military Mm. on a racial spoil system. On top of this, of course, especially, you know, especially when we have particular political parties in power. Um, But yes, exactly, right. So when the government wants to do something, the government knows how to get it done, Mm. and then they just make sure that it doesn't get done because they're trying to destroy things. And so, but uh, I, I just point that out because you know, there's very clearly a disparate impact going on here. If if you're describing a situation where, like, among the most dangerous things that you could be is not a, is not a drug dealer, <laughs> it's a white South African farmer. Yeah. And so that's, that's a pretty staggering thing, I'd go so far as to say. And so all of these things are going on. There's, you know, people are getting murdered. Um, and as you mentioned this thing, the brain drain, okay? So while this is happening, some people are saying, you know, I can get out of here, I'm getting out of here. And so do you have any... Estimate of numbers or percentages, or can you give me some um, idea of the scale of of how many people in uh, some idea of the scale of people who have left south Africa already
1: yes i can i 'm not uh, an aficionado on this subject, but i 'm going to regurgitate or repeat like a parrot something that I read about three or four months ago. A study was done that revealed that if South Africa's white immigration rate had been normal, as it may have been in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, people moving to different continents to pursue whatever endeavors. And as it is between, say, Sweden and Venezuela, whatever, whatever normal is, if it had not been exacerbated from 1994 by crime, by violence, by decline in the economy, then the white population of South Africa would be well over six million. So, what is the number that has emigrated? I don't know, but between them and their procreation out there over the past thirty years, thirty years and a few months' time, uh, it totals well over one and a half million.
0: Okay, so the okay, so you have. One and a half million fewer than you would have expected had everything been yes. on its normal track. Yeah, that's record. an academic
1: okay. study, a reliable. Study. Okay,
0: that's that's okay. That's a that's a that's a useful number. Um, well, they, they couldn't let you get up to six million because when they kill all of you, then that's going to rhyme, and they're go, they're going to get really upset. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, the sweet, uh, so when did uh, the organization that you represent? When did that begin? When was that started?
1: Mr. Miller, our leader and founder, had some kind of premonition. Uh, I'm kind of putting words in his his mouth here, and so I'm I'm being cautious. But at the risk of using the wrong terms, he had some sort of premonition at the time of the elections in 1994. He told me the story. And he said he just had such huge misgivings while the elections were were taking place. Some kind of premonition that he then initiated the process very, very slowly. I think I can safely say that he contemplated it for a few years. Then he began another initiative that went kind of in a different direction. And Saitlanders, as such, was initiated in the early 2000s. Let's call it 2002, 2001, roughly there. Uh, for the sake of a round number and it became crystallized and formalized over years you know first it was one man doing his thing and then it was a company registration certificate and then it was you know it was very very organic in its growth and so um
0: you, you describe this as a as a premonition now um and i i want to acknowledge that for you and for the audience there's an understanding that you have to be careful about what you say to some extent, but, you know, I, it, it seems to me that people who had lived in South Africa before 1994 have some understanding of what's going to happen when, when the, the government is changed in the, in the way that it was. The, the – the, when, when the – when you turn it into everybody can vote – there's going to be a completely different group of people in control of the government due to the demographics and everybody mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of understands that And one might not need um, one might not need a premonition to understand that this is going to end in disaster right mm-hmm. i mean uh... but in any case he has this he has this um... perception in any case that that things are gonna go bad and so mm. in the early two thousands he begins an organization to start preparing an, an emergency plan. Yes. And so you have mentioned something about a, a the Geneva Convention mm. pr- provides for this. Mm. Um, and the, tell me what that... I think you... I know you mentioned it before the show. I forget mm. if you said it on the recording. Just no, tell me what the Geneva Convention part is. Right.
1: Following World War II, there, there are numerous Geneva Conventions. We're going to refer to the Geneva Conventions of 1948. There are Geneva Conventions, multiple, that go back to the early uh 1900s and to the 1800s the ones of 1948 were intended to address the matters emerging from world war ii in 1977 there was a there had a perception had grown that there were loopholes in the geneva conventions of 1948 so three protocols additional were added The Protocols Additional of 1977 to the Geneva Conventions of 1948. And those protocols pertain mostly to the circumstances and conditions of civilians in national and international conflicts and maritime conflicts. So it covers the whole, you know, uh, piracy, civil war. Uh, international war, everything is covered by that. And within those protocols additional, there are, are provisions for identifiable ethnic groups. There are many provisions. There are provisions for all sorts of things. How many torpedoes you're allowed to fire at a, at a vessel on the high seas, what you, who you can take captive, and who you can't, how long you can hold. There provisions for everything. Among those are provisions for identifiable ethnic groups that feel vulnerable in their circumstances to take uh, this, these are not very legal terms but decent respectable steps to safeguard their welfare so in other words I may not hoard chemical nuclear or biological weapons I may not <coughs> import bazookas from Mozambique I may not uh, you know, hoard explosives and plan to blow up bridges but what I may do as a as a law-abiding Saitlander, is I can wisely uh, procure self-defense weapons, legal weapons. I can store up food. I can have a safe haven to flee to. I can build relationships with other people to find um, security in in mass, in number. Um, There there are many things you can do uh, as a civilian to prepare for a conflict. And those things, really, people might say, "Oh well, if uh, you don't have an AR-15 with a hundred thousand rounds, you—it's you, just pointless." Rubbish, rubbish. In any endeavour in life, like uh, if you—if you're overweight, you know, and you go on the internet and you see one of those things, and it tells you you're in the the zero point zero 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 one percentile of the fattest people of history. In order, in order for you to get out by a factor of ten, is You know, eat 100 calories less a day. Yeah. And similarly, you can place yourself, you know, in the reverse, in in the upper echelons of the people who are best set to survive a conflict through the most the most ordinary means without getting psycho and, and you know doing crazy stuff breaking the law idiotic things i can secure my welfare just by having 10 friends with hunting rifles i can secure my welfare just by having a place to run to i can secure my welfare a thousand times better than the next person just by having some silver in the event of a currency collapse i can better secure my welfare than 99 and ninety nine thousand uh, out of a million people <clears throat> just by having good food supplies. You know, it's, it's easy to do that without being crazy.
0: What, what weapons are um, c- uh, civilians in South Africa allowed to possess presently? And what are the restrictions on the possession of those weapons? I, I understand you can't give me a complete legal class. Yes, and-
1: yes. In, in the simplest of terms, you can have a pistol and a revolver and a shotgun and a hunting rifle, but you have to do a little course, two, three, four-day course, You have to sit an examination you have to submit an application that is accompanied by a whole lot of stuff so it's quite a rigmarole and then you will wait at least six months to be approved for those simple pistol revolver shotgun rifle if you want to you can't own automatic weapons Uh, as an ordinary civilian as a super duper collector or an olympic athlete that's different obviously um Well, I think it's obvious.
0: Now, when you say automatic, are you referring to um, fully automatic or
1: you can't own a semi-automatic rifle? I'm referring to fully automatic. Okay, okay. But you can own a semi-automatic rifle if you can justify it. If you can uh, prove or demonstrate that you're a dedicated sports shooter, that you're a that you're a, a gun nut, that you're a guy who uses his rifle, you're responsible, you don't have any felonies against your name, you haven't lately been accused of murder and robbery and what have you, then you can get it with great difficulty. That's to say, a, 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 a semi-automatic um, assault rifle, for want of a better word. I know that's.
0: It's a it's a politically loaded term, certainly yes. here in the United States. So so, but I mean, the the requirement for having a bolt action rifle is different for having a semi-automatic rifle. Yes, and and uh, for a handgun, I I you know um i understand that the for a handgun most handguns are semi-automatic though and so or do yeah. they distinguish between semi-automatics and revolvers or they
1: they distinguish between handguns and rifles
0: okay yeah. all right yeah. all right and so it's not it's not an it's it's not a process that is prohibitively difficult for an average south african citizen to have a to have a pistol
1: it 's not prohibitively difficult, but it 's a hang of a lot more difficult and
0: and it 's a thing that you have to think of in advance because if you start to apply for your pistol permit after all hell has broken loose you 're going to be waiting six months if you 're lucky
1: if you 're lucky yes. yes
0: okay and so and so uh, you are trying to create you're, you're putting together these emergency plans in in accordance with the guidance provided by the Geneva Convention. And the government of South Africa uh, probably has opinions about this. And I imagine that when you talk about the Geneva Convention, you're talking about international law at that point. Mm. And so what if any is there provisions for your protection within south african law that you're operating within as well or are they basically being restrained by the international community i mean what's going on
1: the thing is that the african national congress was uh, a cheap floozy when it assumed power in 1994 right you asked me earlier off camera about the the African National Congress's relationship with Russia and I explained to you that that it's so joined at the hip through trade agreements to the USA that its relationship it, you know vis-a-vis Russia and vis-a-vis USA might be likened to the relationship between a man and his concubine and a man and his wife okay you know I mean, it's just the ANC has ratified the Geneva Conventions and quite peculiarly passed them into South African law so ratified them at a distance we agree with everybody else there we go there's our signature and incorporated them into South African law so twice over it is bound by them therefore there's very little that they can do to formally and openly persecute us what they instead do is use the intelligence services to make our lives miserable and we are forever the object of intelligence plots and uh, spies and agents coming in and all sorts of chicanery you know they come in and then they do all sorts of destructive things and then Mr. Miller has to get rid of them and it's, it's one thing after another and th- that's what they do the intelligence services of South Africa absolutely hate us by virtue of the fact That their masters in the ANC hate the idea of our existence. Ultra-conservative white people preparing a plan that's based upon race. When in fact, it's an international thing. If you're a a Jew, a gypsy, uh, a, a, a Croat in the former Yugoslavia, or anybody else anywhere in the world, to do things along these ethnic lines makes good sense. It's the intelligent thing to do. It's the wise thing to do, and it is in South Africa as well, but they don't see it that way. It's just race and nothing beyond race.
0: Well, it's a, yeah. And so you mentioned earlier that the uh, there's a large demographic of a, a Indian population there. Yes. Um, how, how are they perceiving things in South Africa these days?
1: First, I just want to apologize for swigging in the camera. It's... I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, for the audience's benefit, um, right now in South Africa, it's uh, whatever the time is, about uh, 2 in the morning, 1 or 2 in the morning, and I've got a bit of jet lag, and I'm <laughs> absolutely catatonic exhausted.
0: Yeah, you know, I my audience is used to. We usually do this at nine thirty, and I and I propose that and you're like, you, you have any idea what I'm, you know? And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll do it, do it a little earlier, and so we shot for six p.m. But I uh, yeah,
1: and I, I'm grateful. Thank you very and, much. I just want to point out in case people think I'm drinking, sort of like, uh, you know, not very politely. Right in the, in the, in the microphone.
0: You, you are exceedingly polite, comparable to their humble correspondent here. I, I, I suck these things down like there's no tomorrow, and I do it at like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm vaping the whole time. It's, it's, you are, you're a perfect gentleman, Simon, and everybody's very grateful. Oh, thank and you so. very much.
1: <laughs> to, to answer your question, in July, between the 8th and the 14th of July of two years ago, 2021, We had, just in the general direction is fine, uh, huge riots in a certain portion of South Africa, Uh, a region dominated by the Zulu, the famous Zulu people, where the largest concentration of Indians outside of India exists in the world. Mm. So millions of Zulus and millions of Indians. It's a legacy of the 1860s. Uh, about 500 people were killed when these black people went marauding, rampaging for six nights and six days. The overwhelming majority of the killings of the black people rampaging through businesses, setting billions and billions and billions of dollars of property alight. Rampaging through suburbs and so on was done by Indians, not whites. The Indian community stood its ground like iron. And they shot them down. They were not having any of it. They were not interested in excuses and reasons and stories and long-winded explanations. You are coming with murderous intent toward my wife and my daughters they shot them down the indian community of south africa which is really two sub communities that live in the same area but don't they they should be distinguished muslims and hindus yeah the muslims and the hindus quite apart from one another uh, are far better prepared for any crisis in South Africa than conservative whites could ever bulldust themselves we like to believe that we're the superstars we're not in their league I have had extensive dealings on behalf of my leader our founder Mr Gustav Miller with various Indian Indian Hindu and Muslim Indian organizations and communities and societies over the past six years And they are streets ahead of us when it comes to preparing for some sort of nationwide anarchy, for want of a better phrase. Likewise, the colored people, not all of the colored people, the mixed race people of South Africa, but there are numerous colored societies, for want of a better word, informal groupings, that are very well prepared to withstand the rigors of Social fractiousness nationwide anarchy. Choose your favorite phrase. And it seems to me that
0: I remember reading a story within uh well, I guess. It was probably uh, I forget when it was. It might have been before I went to prison now. I'm thinking I'm thinking like, oh, this is probably a couple of years ago, but it was actually probably within the year before I went to prison. I remember this, I think that when was this story that you told me when five hundred of them got shot or something like that when the when the Indians gunned them down? What was for it
1: for six nights in early July of two thousand and twenty one?
0: Okay, all right. Well, that's what it. I probably read about this in the newspaper while I was in prison then. And so I remember I remember this story that you're talking about in any case. And so, like, they they don't have the same fear of being called racist say yeah. right like they they they're like all right look you know you're you're a different racial group than us you're coming here to kill us and we understand what that means right yes. and and they they don't they don't mess around with them right yes. um I, I understand that um not that i understand that white white south africans um Shall we say probably have more trouble with this than than them? Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and you describe being targeted by the intelligence agencies. I hey, mean, that, that that probably has something to do with it. I imagine.
1: Yeah, well, it varies. You know, the average white South African is as stupid as the average white person anywhere in the world. They believe anything. A bat in a fish market. You know, white South Africans signed <laughs> up for the most preposterous narrative in all of the history of the world. Right. You know, we're mentally retarded, just as Australians, Canadians, and Americans are. Um, but, uh, but above and beyond that, we're also cowed. We've been bullied, you know, by conscience to the point where we're like Germans, you know. Everything must be our fault. It couldn't possibly be anybody else's fault. We're always wrong. That's as a generalization. It's not equally true for individuals. But it's, it's you know, there are these generalizations, um, Christopher. Once you, once you move into conservative environments, a lot changes. Health. Fitness. Common sense. Wealth sense of responsibility, family stability, and so on. The list the list is endless. Um, there's a lot less purple hair. There are a lot fewer people who describe themselves as, I don't know what, uh, lesbian, truck driving, cripples, whatever, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not really setting out to be nasty, but all these sort of convoluted, obscure terms. You don't don't have
0: people conjuring gender identities out of thin air every two weeks in white South Africa?
1: Yeah, but it applies to everything, you know, absolutely everything. There's uh, just that little bit more common sense, just that little bit more wisdom, just that little bit more sense of responsibility. Um,
0: So... I understand that there's probably limits on what you can say about what these emergency plans are, but, I mean, what can you tell us about the emergency plans?
1: Well, we have identified a region of South Africa that is very sparsely populated. I'm not going to go into details, but our leaders know, and therefore the intelligence agencies know, everybody know. You can't keep a secret once you tell 10, 12, 15, 30 people. But there is a certain region of South Africa that is sparsely populated and which would readily accommodate refugees. You know, you wouldn't be forcing other people out and creating tension. You'd be going into a remote area and saying, we're not treading on anybody's toes. So that's in a in a, uh, a dry portion of South Africa. And, and the plan is to erect a perimeter, which is permitted by international law, uh, and to defend it, which is also permitted by international law, providing that you declare yourself A non-party to a conflict so if you say we the pygmies of uganda don't wish to be involved in the present conflict between the swahili people and the congolese people of uganda we we want to sit it out one side we the pygmies it the, the law provides for you to sit it out one side behind an established and defensible perimeter. And that is the gist of our plan, which is not to say that everything's going to go smoothly. We're not mentally retarded. We're not naive. Uh, We're not complete idiots. We understand that that's not how war works. But that is how prudent planning works. You say to your wife, Hey, my darling... It's getting a bit hot in this suburb of wherever, South Central Los Angeles. Why don't we move two streets down and hope that we can remove ourselves somewhat from the drugs and the crime and the the the, the gang warfare and so on? If if you then are on the receiving end of a, a zinging bullet through the window, well, that's a pity, but at least you've endeavored to move in the right direction.
0: And so... Um As you're putting this together, you mentioned Russia before, and I I asked you about this earlier, and uh, it was right before the showtime. We didn't have much time to go into it. So if uh, those of us who who try to keep apprised of, um, you know, Russia on the world stage, Russia is making a lot of moves in Africa, uh, you know, on the African continent, in any case. I have no specific information about anything that they're doing in, in South Africa, but you say... That the South African government basically I, I, I'm this is not what you said the, these are my words for it and you can uh, pick it apart if you like you know the South African government is essentially a creation of Western powers and whoever controls Western powers right and and they and as a consequence of this they're basically beholden to them and they've got all these trade agreements and and so they they can't they can't openly defy Western standards, and they also – did you tell me that they have some kind of treaty prohibition from alliances with Russia or something to that effect?
1: No, I was just saying that, that South Africa is so joined to the United States of America and Europe through treaties that it it can never fully be wed to Russia, Okay, but it sees the writing on the wall, and through bricks – it knows that the future lies with brazil russia india china south africa saudi arabia so it's torn between its commitments there's um there was a video going a- a- around
0: recently of um i forget his name off the top of my head i'm kind of embarrassed by it and, I, and i'm i'm tempted to say that he's like a a south african leader that he was he was i think he was recently Leading the the song Kill the Bull. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, know. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: you know what i do you know what I'm talking about this recent event? Yeah, that was at the 10th anniversary celebrations of the founding of the Economic Freedom Fighters that's Marxist Parliamentary Party. So it's a party that's represented in our parliament. They attract roughly, for the sake of conversation, ten percent of the national vote. They were established in 2013. Lo and behold, 2023, their their 10th anniversary celebrations were held in a football stadium that takes uh, about 90,000 people, and they used the pitch, too. So they had easily 100,000 people in this football stadium in front of the stage, and the founder, the leader, the head, uh, Julius Malema, led the singing of a song called Kill the Farmer. Kill the boer. Boer being Afrikaans or Dutch. Afrikaans is a derivative of Dutch. It is the language that is spoken by roughly sixty percent of South Africa's whites. Roughly sixty percent of South Africans' whites are not like me. I'm I'm from Irish people and I speak English as a home language. Uh, the majority speak the Afrikaans language and they're known as Afrikaners. And if you really want to split hairs, boers. Those guys use the word boer for themselves okay and it means farmer so as an entire nation they if you in their language if you say who are you i say who are you you say i'm an american you ask them who you who you are they say i'm farmer right i am farmer the word says it all it is a nation that is born of the soil it is a nation that is it that is half dug into the soil whose roots run deep into the soil and julius malema was saying the farmer the boer kill him yeah um Um, and
0: is it is it so you say that this economic freedom fighters, these, this Marxist party, they have a roughly 10 percent. Mm. They get roughly 10 percent of the seats in the parliament then. Mm. And um, how much influence does that wield for them? Uh, they, w- they they, they wield... I understand that's not a, a mathematical question. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, they yeah. have some say in how the government functions in any case, right?
1: It's now generally understood that it was a ruse that the economic freedom fighters were founded by the african national congress in a clandestine move to occupy political territory that they couldn't be seen to occupy um, by the world The world would never have accepted it if the African National Congress after decades of saying when we come to power, we will not dispossess the white people of this, that, the next thing. We're going to be the best government you've ever seen because we're so pure as the driven snow. We're not racist. We're not white. We're not European. We're not American. We're innocent, suffering black Africans who can do no wrong. And you will see it with your own eyes. Lo and behold it it seems this is generally agreed by liberal i speak as a conservative i'm talking about liberal the liberals now generally agree that it was a massive move clandestine move for the anc to by proxy vicariously occupy political territory that it couldn't seen, be seen to be occupying create this controlled opposition and tell them you be far left and you know, we'll we'll both know where we stand with one another in years to come. And essentially they get to implement some portion
0: of the lunacy that people like Malima say, and then they say, well, no, we're not the complete lunatics. You know, we're not implementing lunatic. Po- they, they're talking about the lunatic policies. We've only instituted 75% of that, which makes us moderates, essentially. Is I kind of like uh, how this ab- works?
1: Absolutely. It's like the argument for uh, gun control and abortion and what have you in the USA. Last week, Thursday, <laughs> a single lady died because you refused. Therefore, all women should be...
0: You, you know what I mean? I, I got worried about you for a second. You did that very convincingly. I was like, are you, is he okay?
1: <laughs> uh, I shouldn't do that really, but, it, but but what they do is they drag policy leftward yeah they say in the public forum the ANC doesn't care about the poor suffering black man the ANC came to power promising us a brighter future but there are black people suffering in squatter camps it's too wicked for words and then the ANC can very justifiably say oh golly gee perhaps we should be a little bit more leftist than bill clinton than bill clinton or the americans whatever you know would would have liked us to have been we didn't want to be so liberal we didn't want to be so social democratic we didn't want to be uh, loony leftists but the economic freedom fighters do have a point when they say that blacks don't have land therefore we're very reluctantly going to have to take their point of view seriously so they've created this force that drags the entire south african political discourse leftward leftward and they they begrudgingly acquiesce to that right they wish they didn't have to but you know of Of course and so um, it's an
0: interesting dynamic, I'd say, and, and I, can, I, can, I can certainly envision how that would work. And so uh, when they're running around screaming, kill the farmer, kill the boar, and the African National Congress, uh, then they look moderate by comparison when they just say, well, we're just going to take your property away. Yeah. Now, I think the first time I spoke to you... Um, I think you were telling me that the the, African Const- the South African Constitution had very strong protections for property rights. Yes. And my understanding is that there's been a lot of work to diminish that since then, right?
1: Yeah. You know, with enough use of language, you can achieve anything. Um, uh, freedom of speech means freedom of speech. End of story. You use enough English and you can turn that inside out upside down and back to front
0: yeah
1: similarly um with enough use of language the african national congress has successfully um uh, made this thing that they they promised would never be a matter a real matter and right now there's a lot of conversation about um the restriction of water rights I'm not going to bore you with all of the details, Christopher, but what it amounts to is the feasibility of white South Africans farming. If you say, in the interests of the human beings of, of our country, the suffering human beings, we think we should examine who drinks what water. It sounds ever so convincing. Yes. But the net consequence is the same as the net consequence of the land matter. It is the same as the net consequence of broad-based black economic empowerment. It is the same as the net consequence of of awarding mine, um, a, 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 a mineral um, mining rights, uh, and so on and so forth. It's it's the same old thing. Uh, it's a, an attack on white farmers. And right now the African National Congress is proposing that all of all consumption of water should be along racial lines. Black people should be consuming at least 70% of all water. <laughs> and therefore, if you're a successful irrigation farmer on the banks of the, 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 the Orange River, our largest river, uh, the net result is you cannot be a farmer. Simple right. as that. Yeah, And we all know what it's really motivated but we're not stupid we just look this way
0: and so yeah i i can see the the mechanics of this so that okay we have some obstacle to expropriating your property mm. but since we have control over the flow of water and mm-hmm. water i think most of my audience is aware, water is very important for human life generally speaking mm. and so if they deprive you of water then yes. then that's actually um that can have a significant impact on Demographics, among other things, mm. and so that's an, an interesting uh, dimension of it. I'd say, um, and so these are the things that they are doing to try to get around whatever limitations they have. I, I think it's sort of, I guess it's sort of interesting that they are um, that they that they go through the motions here to to try to do those things. You mentioned the intelligence agencies and that they basically engage in, I guess they're doing the things that they don't want to take credit for, right? I mean, this is basically, this is the criminal element of the government, essentially, right? Basically doing things that they do not go and say in the newspaper, hey, we we raided this house and arrested him on a warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, they go and they do things that are, for, for want of a better term, off the books. Mm-hmm. And are the intelligence agencies... Do you is there? Do you have any information about the demographics in the intelligence agencies?
1: I have no idea whatsoever. Okay, Um, but if you want to infiltrate a, a conservative Christian Caucasian organization such as Saitlanders, you can only use Caucasians who are masquerading as conservative and Christian. Right. So a disproportionate number of the operators. Or operatives, as you would call them in the USA, um, of the intelligence agencies is white—a disproportionate number. Okay, uh, but of course, the people pulling the strings—the higher you you get up in the uh, echelons in the hierarchy, uh, the more African National Congress nationalist black people. You know, stands to reason.
0: And so, I mean, uh, you know, um, the the uh, it's interesting to me that they would be that you have whites who are conspiring against whites essentially that they wouldn't be able to do this without that component i gather right and so i mean do you have any idea i understand that you probably don't spend a lot of time talking to these folks but i mean do you know do you, do you have some concept of what what it is that drives our fellow whites to to conspire against you
1: um at the risk of using a word that makes conservatives uncomfortable I'm going to use a word that is biblical and therefore I hope that my people as conservative as they are will forgive me whoredom and fear those are the two uh, levers that they use uh, to get these people to be their marionettes jealousy envy and covetousness are as charlie munger has famously said so so brilliantly you know warren buffett's business partner he he has said the world is not governed by greed people are wrong when they say that because happiness was so much more a few hundred years ago when people had so very much less, even the most wealthy people. Yeah. He said it is all purely and simply jealousy. It's easy to go to a guy who's got issues about how how much achievement he's had in life and how much recognition and how fair was his life and was he given, uh, did his mother breastfeed him enough and how come his mate down the road got an inheritance of a million rand or dollars from his dad and he didn't and it's... It's easy to bribe. To bribe is the easiest thing in the world. And then the the corollary uh, or or the the, the other side of the coin is fear. Your child has um, leukemia. The intelligence services come to you and say, we can get him from number 95 on the Red Cross Children's Hospital list. Very famous hospital for kiddies in Cape Town, South Africa. To number three for a bone marrow transport. All we want to know is, what do you and Simon discuss yeah. when you meet for beers every Tuesday night at the something something restaurant? Yeah. That's all we need to know. <coughs> Similarly, you have something hanging over you. You didn't pay tax. Um, or you were seen loitering with a woman of another color and you're ostensibly conservative. And they come to you and they say, listen, we we understand that you have some bad habits. We don't want to ruin your life. All we're asking is, report to us once a month on what's going on in in St. Londres, in your local group, in your region, your province, whatever. So people do it to get out of jail. They do it to, st- to stay out of jail. They do it to avoid shame in their community. And that's all fear-based. So you only need those two things. Bribery, you know, through jealousy or in appealing to jealousy and, and some kind of lever of fear. And everybody has a lever of fear. Everybody has some skeleton in the cupboard apart from a very, very few people. The very few people who have nothing to be ashamed of,
0: right? Um, I, I think that uh, there's very few people who have nothing to be ashamed of, and the the best that you can hope for is that you that your secrets ah uh, anyway or do you, do you to be, be
1: af- afraid of let's say y- yeah to be afraid you know
0: exactly very few yeah. people are absent secrets uh, say yeah, yeah. and so uh, I understand that for sure do you, you know. You mentioned uh, the the prospect of uh, somebody being with a person of a different color. It, mm. Do you do you believe that? Um, is it your perception that homosexuals pose uh, pose a greater threat within uh, on account of that potential for blackmail?
1: Greater than miscegenation. Greater well, than interracial. Well, um, I would say. Uh, uh,
0: does the do the intelligence agencies prey on homosexuals and their desire to keep their proclivities secret um, in, in order to blackmail them into helping them?
1: Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Okay.
0: Um, predictable consequence, I imagine. Yeah. And so uh, I understand that uh, we're we started a little bit late, but we are getting close to the two hour mark from when we. Plan to start, and so I. And I know that you're. Uh, you mentioned your jet lag, and I'm going to try to. We're going to try to wrap up by eight at seven forty. Um, what you, we've touched on the plans of going to a territory. Um, I mean, if, so what have I missed so far? What's important that we talk about that I haven't brought up, Simon?
1: I'm. I'm going to answer you in an unexpected way, and if it's not your preferred answer, that's that's okay. But this is my instinctive response. I wish that we had another hour or
0: well, hour I'm, and a half. I'm actually very happy to go another hour. No, 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 I'm trying no, no. to be I'm, 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 of your I'm time. I'm
1: absolutely kaput. Um, I'm, I'm really battling. Um, but in the ideal world, another hour or, you know, another day to, to discuss the rest of the world. You know, uh, I think that we Saitlanders... Uh, especially our leader, Mr. Miller, have a very healthy understanding of what's happening in the USA. I I, I did an interview last... Today is... uh, Is is today Friday? Today's Friday, yes. I did an interview on Sunday on World Broadcasting Network. And I was contacted by somebody who happened to live down the road from where I was staying when I conducted the interview. And I said, I'm in Sayre, Pennsylvania, among the big trees and... Mm -hmm uh coming to you from from saya and this this woman you know sent a message via the whatever you call it the chat saying to the producer or the 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 host of the show i live just down the road and uh it led to me meeting her lovely lady veronica terrific lady and she said to me right from the get-go she said i can't get over how much more you seem to know about our country than our best commentators do. And it's not, we're not vain about it. We're not conceited. We're not saying we know America better than Americans. But I spend my life endeavoring to understand the crisis of Christendom. My boss, Mr. Miller, spends his life day and night endeavoring to comprehend what is going on among our people in the West. And so, therefore, we, I think, are quite healthily informed about. This thing, and, and I just wish we had more time to discuss that, you know, outside of South Africa, the decline of the West, the demise of the West, the, the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline crisis, the, uh, the, the nature of the clot shot. How is it that Dr. Lee Merritt, the former head of the United States uh, Surgeons and Doctors Association, has been able to discover that the clot shot has a, a pre, uh, proclivity, if you like, for doing harm to Caucasians through the ACE2 receptors that are unique to white people. How, 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 how did that happen? Let's understand it. Maybe it was one enormous coincidence, you know. Yeah. How is it that we've seen, through through the events in, in Russia um, and the Ukraine, an enormous crisis in the USA that people are putting one and one together? Bricks. What are the ramifications? The, the entire um, power of the of the dollar has rested since the early 70s on the petrodollar deal made by henry kissinger with the saudis mohammed bin salman has just turned that absolutely on its head by spurning joe biden when he tried to shake his hand firstly spurning the first visit then spurning his, the contact then cutting oil production then joining BRICS. It is one of the biggest geopolitical moves in history, and it is going to severely undermine the dollar. So, you know, I know I've given you a hell of a long-winded answer to your question. Well, I, I apologize. I, no,
0: it's, it's okay. And obviously, we don't have time to pick that apart, mm. sadly. Um, not tonight, anyway. Maybe we will... I'll, I'll be happy to have you back on again, of course, and and we could pick a we could pick a lot of that apart. You know, I I understand when we spoke before you didn't want to center this on the religious component, but I I I would like to, you know, um, maybe touch on that a little bit before we wrap up. I mean, there, there's a religious element to, to what you're involved in, right? I mean, you you have described this. I I think I I think in my show description from the first time I had you on, we described this as a a, a Protestant organization. Is that an accurate? Representation—it's—it's
1: uh, it's fair, not accurate, but fair.
0: Okay. Um, and th- that's not, but it is not. It, that's the—that is the worldview that's sort of behind the organizing. It's not—it's not exclusionary of people who are not. You're involved, exactly right. right. Okay. I'm
1: hesitant to call it Protestant, not because it isn't Protestant; it is. Right. It is, but it implies that it excludes, uh, let's say, Greek Orthodox people, when right. in fact we are inclusive. Of all white South Africans, a very readily identifiable ethnic community.
0: Right, Um, but I guess what I'm interested in, sort of touching on, is you know, I guess the there there's an element of I'm not not sure the word that I'm looking for here. The the idea that I'm getting at is a a. the idea that i'm getting at is charitable but it's not the word that i'm looking for i mean there's 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 a caring element to this that is driven mm. by faith is that mm. fair to say yes absolutely and
1: maybe you could speak to that a little bit our founder is a uh, he's he's one of the truest folks patriots that i know he what what is the word that you use before patriots? Falks patriots. So Falk, the okay, Ger- okay. Germanic. You know, it's the okay. same word in Dutch. It's uh. the same word in Flemish. It's the same word in German. And um, he he has a. D- a d- I'm laughing. It's it's not funny, but I've just you know I have these recollections in my mind of of his face and his facial expressions and the s- his sentiment. And his tone of voice and on various occasions that we've discussed certain matters of of patriotism um, and that is I, I don't know it might be his greatest motivator is it his love for his people yeah pro patria um in Dulce et decorum is pro patria mori in in quietness and good behavior is the righteousness of our fathers r- roughly um, it is good to be quiet and to be well behaved in in the sight of our fathers um, it's this idea that that nation is superior that my language and my mother and my religious observances and everything that is above me and that came before me are better than me. And I should love them and I should celebrate them. So uh, I think I've, I might have gone off the topic a little bit, but...
0: You're doing fine.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. you know, I, I,
0: there is a popular conception, and mm. I think is, you know... Certain religious communities uh, certain Christian religious communities mm. in the United States, and particularly like the Unitarians and these sort of people yeah there's there's an idea that you know racial consciousness is somehow contrary to Christianity because it 's universalist and and there's been my understanding of it and i 'm not intimately familiar with this community I'm, i I could not in faith good faith call myself a member of it, but my understanding of it is that there's been a lot of money spent by Christian organizations in order to spread Christianity to black people in Africa. They appear to have had a great deal of success in that, and they show you this in the form of, you know, images and video of black people worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, it would seem to me that if, if this was quite so universalist, that those, those black African Christians would be very upset about the way that you're being treated. And I wonder if you've observed any of that.
1: Uh, I can't say that I have, although a, a, a number of black people in the USA have contacted me to say, I support you. <coughs> I wasn't able to do so, but I was once invited to to give a, a, a talk to a black community. I was on my way out of the USA and there was no prospect of me turning around. <coughs> I beg your pardon. Um, yeah, I think maybe four black people. From the usa have reached out to me over the past six years and said we like what you say please come on our radio show i've been on jesse lee peterson's show i think he's a superstar really um yeah it's a difficult question you know i don't think anybody fully knows where to draw the line yeah because there are apparently uh, i say apparently contradictory phrases on this matter in the bible go forth and spread the gospel to all men yeah who knows who knows you know we we know that the that the uh what do you call these castrati the, the uh the the eunuch was an ethiopian we know that um simon of Kyrene, Kyrene is modern day libya mm-hmm. yeah, what does it make him black half black who knows i gave up caring a long time ago right uh i don't i lack i lack the intelligence to master
0: this subject i I understand that so but it's interesting to me that the 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 black the the black Christian population of Africa does not seem to be in in disarray over over the way that white south african christians are being treated is that is that your perception
1: yeah of course of course i mean okay. the 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 support for for uh the the uh circumstances of whites in South Africa. So that, you know, the, the, the framework of uh, black economic empowerment, crime, violence, deterioration, immigration, and so on and so forth, is not of much concern to many people in the world.
0: Yeah. Um, it's troubling, I'd say, that, you know, I think that there's a lot of American money goes mm. into spreading Christianity in Africa.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And they don't seem to demonstrate that same you know, uh, universalist uh, uh, concern for their fellow Christians that um, that seems to be so pervasive over here, and it's troubling. Um, I want to thank you so much for, for coming here. It's really, you know, I, I imagine we've, we've spoke twice before, and you're an interesting guy. You're, you're doing a lot of really important things. And uh, to be able to, to be on set with you uh, is... A, a real privilege. I thank you for this. I mean, um, now you're trying to raise money for this organization, and we we should certainly get that out of the way before we wrap yeah. up. I mean, how how tell us, give us first, give us the pitch, and then let's figure out how they get the money to you.
1: Right. Uh, we are in the USA for one purpose alone, and that is to raise funds. However, our talks, uh, presentations, interviews, and what have you, uh, we believe, are beneficial to the listener. Yeah, you know, we're looking for your money. But I tell you what, if you come to one of our presentations or you host us, you'll never regret it. We have fascinating things to say about the the crisis of Christendom. That's what we're calling this tour. The crisis of Christendom. Yeah, what's going on in in the USA? LGBTQ, uh, Joe Biden, economic crises, inflation, so on and so forth. So we have great, great uh, things to offer. Um, if people would like to support us, they can go to www, oh, I beg your pardon, scrap the www.suitlanders.org, s-u-i-d-landers.org. If they enter there and scroll to the bottom of the, that homepage, there are some uh, vectors or whatever you call it for, for donations, for sponsorship, for support. If people would like us to give a speech to their local organization or group, uh, somewhere in the USA over the next three months that we're going to be here, they're welcome to contact me, Simon at Satelanders.org. As easy as that, I beg your pardon. I've got uh, little the bubbles uh, coming up. It's,
0: that's what, that's what I'm, I've been uh, shoving energy drinks down your throat to keep you awake. And yeah, <laughs> that's and the consequence for it.
1: of it. Uh, or via telephone number, USA telephone number 838 839. Five zero seven nine. I I didn't talk to the guy. He read
0: his own phone number on the radical agenda. It's not my fault. Whatever happens. Um, so, uh, do you have do you have other speaking engagements planned that 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 you can announce now or
1: or? Uh... I'm giving a presentation to an Italian society. I think is the right word, in New York City on Monday night at seven p.m. at I believe it's called Umberto's. It's the It's the clam chowder restaurant. I might be using the wrong words. My apologies, America. Uh, Where some famous mafia guy was killed Monday night, seven p.m. Italian society. I have a television interview in Tennessee on I think the first of November. I've got a speech in in the South on the twenty-eighth of October, and then two others. In November, so I'm going to have a busy November, and then I I plan to go up through the Rockies to a very important uh, appointment. So through the Midwest and up to Idaho, roughly uh, in in um, November, December uh, for a very very important appointment before we fly out in late December. So I'll be here for another three months, just about uh, two months and three weeks ish. Okay.
0: Um, so you 're planning on you 're planning on leaving the United States in late december and you and you may be available for speaking engagements between now and that time if people contact you um, now uh, if you have these speaking engagements, will they be listed on the uh, the Sidelanders website or how do people keep up do you have any social media that we can plug anything like that mm,
1: yes um I beg your pardon, I just uh, got something on my tongue a net or something like that um, <laughs> Uh yes. Uh you've caught me a little bit flat footed. It will be on all of my WhatsApp groups and telegram. Uh but if anybody wants to know any more and they feel like they're not getting enough information, uh send me a message, preferably WhatsApp. If not, a text message. It's fine, I'll get to it. Again, 838-839-5079. Do you have
0: a public telegram channel?
1: Uh yes, I do. Uh uh Saitlanders Sate is Overseas, I think it's called, and
0: we'll we'll confirm that, and I'll put that on my Telegram channel, which mm-hmm. is at Follow Chris, and very easy to remember. Yeah, um, and so uh, I would encourage you, if you have speaking engagements that the public can attend, to to, to post mm. it to that Telegram channel. A lot of our a lot of our listeners follow on Telegram, um, and so. Yeah, uh, they'll they'll be able to find the means by which to send mm. money on the website. They they can yes. do that with a credit card, a bank transfer, this sort of thing. Absolutely, okay. we've
1: got every everything covered. You'll you'll find the one that works for you there. Cryptocurrency, or or different options. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes.
0: All right. Excellent. And um, I I'm I want to make sure that I don't miss anything because I, I, I you have come so far and I and I'm like uh, and but. I think that uh, you know, obviously I'm going to miss things because we're not going to do this all night, and I could talk to you all night. Mm. But uh, in the uh, moments that we have remaining, I'll just say thank you so much, Simon, for coming out here. Thank thank you for thank you for trying to do a very good thing. Um, it, it's important, you know. I I'll express, you know, and I'll and I'll let you respond to this before we wrap up. You know, as I mentioned to you, I mean, you know, the question that always comes to my mind is, you know, like why not get the hell out of there, and I'm very concerned for the for the well-being of you and our people that are there, um, but it's understandable that people don't want to leave their homes. That you know, you you were born and raised in South Africa. You've never mm. lived anywhere else, and so the idea that you're just going to go pick up and leave is not. It's not an option for you, right?
1: The only reason, I mean, people should really give some thought to this before they develop any opinion. Any human being any white person particularly we are only here by virtue of the fact that some stupid idiot decided that he was not going to give ground at tour in 732 under Charles martel yeah would have been easy right the same uh gee i'm so tired i I can barely think uh, was it 1523? It's 16, 1520, 1683 at, at the Gates of Vienna. Uh, for all of history, white people, black people, colored people, Indian people, uh, Native American people, Peruvians, Vietnamese, Cambodians have said, I can run away, but I choose not to do so. Yeah. It may be idiotic in the eyes of many Americans that we white South Africans don't flee, don't flee white South Africa. But I tell them that their grandfathers thought like we do, not like they do. Yeah. Your grandfather wouldn't have been on your side in this conversation. He would have been solidly on my side.
0: Right. Okay. I'm going to. Mute our mics for a second, because I want to ask my guest a question off the off the thing before we wrap up, and I and I don't want to be rude and put him on the spot. But hang on a second, folks. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, the, 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 uh, I didn't want to put him on the spot. <laughs> He's actually not leaving New Hampshire right away. So the good news is I've got a, I've got a super chat. Uh, KetGap sent me 20 bucks. He says, uh, hey, Chris, would love to hear more from both you and uh, Mr. Roche when he is not jet lagged. I wish him good luck with his efforts. Thank you both for taking the time to do the show. And what I, what I just muted our mics to determine was if he'd be able to do this again before he leaves. And his answer said was, I'd love to. And I would love to also. And so we'll do this again. I, uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what time. We still have to figure that out. But we're going we're gonna to do this, and I'm going to make sure that everything's working before we do it. I'm going to have intro music. Mr. Roche is going to be wide awake. I'm not going to pack him full of energy drinks and, and, and all this stuff. We're going to do this the right way, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be able to discuss things at uh, perhaps a little bit of a greater length. But for now, Mr. Roche... Thank you so much for everything that you do um, for our people. Thank you so much for being here in New Hampshire with me. Thank you for doing the show. Thank all of you for tuning in and for all of you who make this possible uh, by doing the whole fuck you pay me thing. Okay, Uh, It's uh, ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. Uh, There's lots of ways for you to. I I make it very easy for people to pay me. So why don't you go ahead and do that. And we'll be back before Monday uh, again with uh, Mr. Simon Roche of Sidelander's. S-U-I-D Landers uh, dot com. Oh, dot org. Dot org. Thank God I didn't mute your mic before we shut this thing down. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, dot org. Don't go to dot com. You'll get, you'll get somebody else there. Uh, S-U-I-D Landers dot org. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, you could pay him. You pay me later. All right. I'll be back before Monday. We'll do this again. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have yourselves a wonderful evening and good night. That's it, it's over. Then we organize the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda, the event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment.